We have jingles now. What are they like? Because I haven't listened to the last one. You'll find out very soon. Welcome to the Electronic Wireless Show. It is the 28th of June 2017. I am your host, Philippa War, and joining me today, as per usual, is Brendan Caldwell. Hello. And special guest, terrifying editor in chief, Graham Smith. Hello. Why am I terrifying? I don't know. I thought I'd make you sound like really exciting slash monstrous. But now, now <laughs> the illusion has failed. Now I'm just going to let everyone down for the rest of this podcast by being lovely and kind. What would you have gone for? Lovely and kind. Generous. <laughs> Soon to offer me a pay rise, Graham Smith. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, it's on record now. Um, how are you both? All good. I'm very well. I'm excited to be here. I haven't done a podcast in a long time. No, it would have been since we did the live Crate and Crowbar one at the uh, Res, right? Yeah, I'd forgotten that, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Great! (laughs) Thanks! It's because it went so smoothly, you know, if it had been a disaster, it would have been fixed in my memory for the rest of my life, you know. Good save. You guys aren't allowed to talk about another podcast when we're on here. (laughs) Well, shall we address uh, what has happened to Adam? What did you do to Adam to, to get this cushy podcasting gig of his i sent him away as i like to do to adam uh, on a regular basis it seems he is in barcelona at the moment he's attending a conference called game lab um att- uh, where he's interviewing lots of developers including dino patty who is one of the founders of play dead and just announced his new thing and lots of other interesting people we hope <laughs> so what happens in the game lab do you know is it is it experimental or is it i think there's just yeah thing? there's just lots of test tubes and and they they put games in the test tubes and then they cook them and see what colors they change and that sort of thing <laughs> so more like the boots pharmacy where they've just got colored water and everyone's a bit like oh it's quite pretty like how in the background of uh every shot of csi miami there are just yeah purple liquids in jars for some reason Nice. Well, while we've all been obviously not in Barcelona, the Steam sale has been raging. The Steam summer sale, this is. Um, so I was wondering what you two have picked up. Uh, I haven't bought anything um, because I am a, a hate figure uh, because I have a Steam Press account which means that technically I can just add things to my account if I want to play with them without having to pay for them, which sounds like an enormous luxury, and is, of course, an enormous luxury, (laughs) but it's also just a fundamental tool of the job. It's necessary for us to be able to play as many things as we can so that we can do 
writing about those games. So yeah, it's it's all part of a, a fruitful ecosystem, and there's no reason that anyone need be resentful or try and steal it from me. <laughs> Is there anything that you do end up buying? Like, do you buy any sort of physical games, or do you buy anything on other platforms? I will occasionally buy stuff on itch. Where I actually I have a, a press account there as well, but I, I will buy stuff there more commonly simply to support, um, you know, the good works that people are doing there. Where it's often it's you know it's people, individuals making things and offering them up on a, on a pay what you want basis anyway, um, and so I try and do that from time to time. And yeah, I buy console games as well. You know, I buy stuff for the Nintendo Switch. Or I would do if there was more than one game for the Nintendo Switch that I wanted. <laughs> um, I didn't actually pick anything up in the Steam sale yet. I was eyeing up a few hidden object adventures, and then I got sidetracked um, by Orcs Must Die Unchained, which I can talk a tiny bit about when we get on to what we have been playing. But that's free to play, so it wasn't even like I needed to, you know, wait for it to be in sale or anything. So... Yeah, I I have let us all down on that front. How about you, Brendy? I've bought fewer games than usual because I use the RPS, the group Steam account, which isn't like Graham's. It's the one that we <laughs> all have to share with our grimy hands. It's always greasy after someone else is done with it. Well, you you swap in into the time zone just after Adam, so like I have to just <laughs> figure out which of you two I'm gonna kick off. <laughs> yeah, um, but I did buy two things. I bought Subnautica because I've never played it before. And Yay! I've heard that it's very, very good. I quite like survival games, so I should, I should, I feel like I should have played it by now. I don't know why I've never done that. I think because I keep getting mixed up with Abzu, and mm. and I just, I, I, I want to do one but not the other. Uh, and what, wait, bu- where, wait, wait, why, why do you want to do one but not the other? Because I feel like abs is a bit too flowery. I just don't. Want, I I, I want to get eaten by a shark. Do you get eaten by sharks in Abzu? Do you mean flowery in the sense of it is literally like their previous game, Flower? Or do you mean I didn't know that that the same studio did Flower? It wasn't the same studio, but it was people from that game company ah. who started up. Um, I've forgotten what it's called, but yes. <laughs> okay, well, I could have sounded smart by just saying, yes, that's why I said flowery. But actually, I just meant, um, like, <laughs> flowery. Uh. <laughs> what have you got against flowers? I don't have anything against it. It's just that I, 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 I don't want to go underwater and do flowery things. I want to go underwater and get eaten by a shark. You want the brutality of underwater. Yeah. But yeah, so I bought that. I bought Subnautica and I bought a Metro bundle which is uh, both of the Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light games put together because they were like six quid together. And I just thought that'll be good just to have for historical reasons. So really what you're saying is you're really into going below sea level and then being killed by things. Yes, and also I can't refuse an abso bargain. <laughs> um, but those are the only those are the only two things that I got. I think I have basically everything else in the world that I could ever want. So, do you think that the um, Steam isn't sort of accumulating games that you want as fast as you were able to <laughs> gather them to you, like a dragon on a pile of treasure? I mean, a weird part of me thinks that I guess the Steam sales will for Valve be uh, what is that phrase? Uh, 
will have diminishing returns as everybody buys everything every year. But uh, then I guess I'm not thinking of it very logically because new games are made and new children are born. <laughs> we must replenish the uh, stock of children to keep buying the games. Yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bleak way of <laughs> approaching all of this. Do you guys have stacks of games that you've bought in previous Steam sales but have never actually got around to playing? Yes. I don't know how much steam sales are responsible for any backlog of mine i'm going to annoy brendan by clicking to, uh, <laughs> to bring up my library uh, just to have a little look um i think generally i only buy things that i'm genuinely interested in playing at that moment in time yeah i i, I also think that i tend to just pick things up when the mood strikes me so I'm not necessarily waiting for a steam sale for any of them for example Crusader Kings 2 is in there and I do not know why that would be that <laughs> might be a steam sale thing but it's more likely that I you know got caught up in a whirlwind of I can tell my own stories I don't need Adam to tell me things and then looked at the interface and was like I need Adam <laughs> <laughs> does sound like a you know Adam got you drunk one night and you woke up and suddenly you owned Paradox's entire back catalogue <laughs> and have no recollection as to why. For sure. I have lots. I have a big pile of shame. I have um, a game called Cryostasis, which I've had on my computer for years. It's like a first-person shooter in a Arctic like tanker or something. It's like a horror, frozen horror game. And it's quite old. It's just been it's just been there in my Steam library, just looking at me, going, "You said you would play me years ago." I have a lot of th- lots of things like that, but now I have a new. Now that I have the RPS press account, I have a new type of uh, pile of shame, which is things that are installed just because I can press the little button that installs them and go, ah, "I will play this," um, but then, <laughs> but then never ever do. Like, I've installed Tekken 7 thinking, oh, I used to like Tekken when I was little. I'll play some of that. Haven't gone near it. (laughs) I have, um, I'm just looking and I've got the dig and I know that I'm not going to play that and I didn't really get on with it at all, but John challenged me to play it. So there's a kind of, if I delete it, I'm admitting defeat and I'll have to explain to him what I've done. So I'm just I've got it there and it's just like oh yeah no I'm I'm working on it kind of oh my shame Moving on from what we bought or what we might theoretically play in the future uh what are you two playing at the moment Shall we start with you Brendy what are you up to See I don't know what to talk about because I I feel like I should talk about something new, like uh, I played some Passepartout, which is a painting sim, um, which was a lot of fun, but I'm not playing it anymore. The only thing I've been regularly playing is hour-long bursts of The Witcher 3 every night, <laughs> because I'm trying to complete it because I'd never played it before. Well, we've never t- talked about The Witcher 3 on this podcast, so we could definitely talk about that for a bit. Um, I don't know, have both of you played it? No. <laughs> I have played about six hours of it, maybe. 
Okay. I accidentally told a waxing story uh, that I was just sort of a ha ha. This was an embarrassing incident, um, and it turned out that I was talking to Geralt, so um, the guy who does the voice. So that was that was a thing, but that's <laughs> as close as I've come to playing The Witcher. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to ask you about the exact details of that later, because although I've heard them and know them off podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The listeners might not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I've been playing it. I, I played it when it originally came out and I didn't really like it. And I, I tried The Witcher 2 as well. I never really liked it. I think the combat is rubbish. And having played like almost 30 hours, I think, I still think the combat is rubbish. So I just busted it down to this easiest mode. And I'm just like plodding through, getting the most of it. And I think it was something like the 24. 20 hour mark or 25 hour mark or something it has an actually really really good little quest line um and really funny bit uh where where you basically go on a bender with the lads and it's it's so much fun because Geralt's voice actor who's usually very steered and like really plain and monotone and doesn't even try to show any emotion or anything suddenly becomes different and weird (laughs) And the way he talks is adorable. It's so much fun. It's like it's like listening to your dad get drunk if he's never been drunk before. <laughs> it's so so much fun. Um, uh, and I just th- I just felt like because I was never really interested in him as a character, particularly uh, even though he, he's supposed to be the protagonist until that point. And I was like, oh my god, he's got a personality. It's twenty five hours in, and they've given him they've given him some character. It's wonderful. <laughs> Um, so I was very glad of that moment, and I'm just trying to like get to the push to the finish line. How close do you think you are? Because it's a long game. Uh, well, I didn't realize it was so long because <laughs> it, there's this, there's this. Do you know those moments in RPGs where, like, even I'm thinking of like Final Fantasy RPGs or whatever, where it feels like everything's coming to a climax, like all your friends that you've made over the course of the game start like all visit you at once like and they all conglomerate into this one like mission to do one thing um oh, like yeah. make a last stand or like the band are all back together yeah kind of bring thing. the battle to the to the empress or whoever you know do whatever all together and like all your choices and everything kind of coalesce and that kind of happens at one point in the witcher 3 it's very soon after you get drunk with the lads and it feels like I, I got to that moment and I felt, oh, yeah, this is it. It's over. But then I did the like last stand and it turns out there's hours and hours and hours left of the game. And now <laughs> it just feels like I'm spent. It feels like, oh, uh, so I am kind of just uh, plodding to the end. Yeah. Aww. It doesn't, like, aside from this one quest, it doesn't sound as if you're necessarily <laughs> enjoying any part of this experience. Like you said that. It took 25 hours for them to give Geralt any character. You said you bounced off it initially and are only returning it to it now, almost with the sole purpose of completing it. Yeah. And now you're just kind of plodding towards the end. Sounds sounds kind of miserable. <laughs> it's, it's weird it's half <laughs> miserable because, like, everybody always goes on about The Witcher 3 and how they think it's got some of the best storylines and best quests and, like, RPGs. And... 
I can see why people might say that because there's there's particular quests that have quite mature themes and you know like it covers like suicide and miscarriages and stuff like that and it's all tied up in a kind of folklore like a like a weird folklore that we might not recognize it's not just like goblins and elves and stuff uh it's kind of i don't know eastern european or something which makes sense but it's it's not as good as everyone's been saying so going through it is kind of like tempering your disappointment with still acknowledging that okay it's still quite good this was my impression of it as well i think i i I think the Slavic mythology it's based on does make it more interesting than the normal Tolkien fantasy. I think it is well animated and it's a beautiful world to explore. I think it does have some good writing and and a lot of the writing is better than you get in rival games. But the experience I had of playing it was that I just didn't find any of it fun. And like fun is a vague concept and it gets bandied about too much in games and a lot of the time we talk about wanting to push beyond fun but The Witcher 3 to me is a kind of smart and impressive game I do not enjoy yeah no I mean (laughs) like I I don't think the combat's very good I don't think the monster scene investigation stuff is very interesting I don't like the way Geralt moves it's not a fun oh god it's horrible it's so (laughs) janky and like oh my god his horse is a nightmare and like I have a I have a rule where I don't fast travel unless like the game forces you to do it so plodding around on his horse is is really nice if you do it slowly and take in the countryside because like you say it's a gorgeous game like and the way the way the weather affects like take hold like and all the trees like bend in the wind and like you can see lightning in the distance but you don't necessarily hear thunder and stuff like that it's like gorgeous but then your horse just kind of like bumps into a fence or starts running in the opposite direction than you're telling it to run (laughs) and it's like what are you doing game stop this (laughs) i'm trying to like you stop doing this to me so would you recommend it (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean like I don't, I don't even know if I have to because I feel like most people who would be into it have probably gone in and played it by now and, and been through it and have loved it. I feel like if you bounce off it, then go with your instincts and just stay bounced off it. Unless you want to see one really fun quiz where Geralt gets drunk. Um. <laughs> I think for me, it's more that the community that has built up around it is so impassioned sort of for good and for bad and that alternately attracts me to the game in terms of these people are so enthusiastic and it you know it's so well regarded by so many people and then you know you sort of stumble into a pit rather where it's just gone in the bad direction sort of fanatical adulation towards a game can go yeah people's enthusiasm for things is really the worst (laughs) disgusting (laughs) Luckily, you won't find any of that here. <laughs> Not on the RPS podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to the first few episodes and listened to uh, like Adam sticking the knife in Baldur's Gate and stuff like that. <laughs> I think our thing is sticking the knife in beloved RPGs, apparently. Um, so yeah, that's why I've been playing sneakily on the RPS press account when no one's looking. <laughs> How about you, Graham? What have you been up to? I have been playing Cave Blazers which is a roguelike platformer. Um, In a similar vein to Splunky, 
um, a game which I love. It's maybe my favorite game of all time. And Cave Blazers is good. And I've, I've played nothing else other than Cave Blazers for about a month now. It slowly took over my life and shoved out all the other games I was playing until I was just playing Cave Blazers. And yet, because Spelunky is my favorite game ever, I have almost nothing to say about Cave Blazers beyond complaints. <laughs> <laughs> but you like it. I do like it. I must like it. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be playing it as much as I am, and there's lots of things I can commend about it. So it's 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 a roguelike platformer um, where you are going into procedurally generated levels. Uh, you have a sword and a bow by default. Um, there are orcs and pink jelly blob monsters and lots of other enemies and gold to collect, and uh, you're just trying to get down to the bottom of the level, get to the exit descend further and every second level you then meet a boss and after which you go into like a new world so like the first world is a kind of brown mines and the second world is a kind of grey I don't know dungeon or something like that um, you've got a bow and arrow and that's mapped to your right stick and you've got infinite arrows so you can just be spraying those out all the time and that's really fun um, there's no fall damage. It's much less of a platformer than Splunky is. You're not. You're you're, you're worrying a lot less about um, just the the pure movement of jumping between things. It's much more about melee combat. And I I like that there's no fall damage. I like that I can land on spikes. And although they take away eighty health, which is most of your health, and so they'll sometimes kill you, they're not an immediate death in the way that Splunky is. It's a little bit more forgiving in that way. And it's got progression systems as well. So although death means that you're you're dead for good and everything you collected on that run is gone you do gain uh, xp points or whatever in every level you then unlock perks which you can select between runs in order to quite dramatically change the way the game is going to play on your next life and that's the thing it does best actually is you get blessings and perks and different weapons and magic items on each run that stack in a way that can completely change your experience of playing the game. So that that arrow that you've got, the bow and arrow that you've got by default, can on a particular run be turned into a bow and arrow that fires five arrows and has a, you know, one in ten shots are going to fire lightning. And there's a like a 40% chance that any particular arrow will be a double arrow. And maybe you'll find a, an ar- a, a bow that causes the arrows to bounce and so on and so on and so on. So you get these kind of ridiculous character builds that you, you stumble into. Um, and that's those, those, those are all the things that have kept me playing it, I think, is that in particular the RNG aspect of I don't know what stuff I'm going to find on this run and the stuff I find might, may, might be really thrilling and it might be something I've never seen before. But beyond that... Oh no. <laughs> have you played it, Brendan? No, no, I just, I just felt the tone shift in your voice. It was like a key change. But beyond that, it is not Spelunky. <laughs> it is, it's not Spelunky, that's the problem. And it's all such little nitpicky things that frustrate me as it goes along, or they sound like nitpicky things anyway. So, for example, it, it's 
It's much more about melee combat, like I said, or much more about combat generally, but I don't like the melee combat. You are fighting with swords or whips and other similar items against enemies a lot of the time. Um, but the camera is quite zoomed out, so the characters are very small, and so it's difficult to see sometimes if you're fighting two enemies where exactly you are positioned in amongst the other enemies. And sometimes that leads to situations where, for example, you swing your sword, but an enemy was kind of on top of you in that moment, and so your swing strikes behind them rather than top of, on top of them. And there is no kind of defensive maneuver. You get some magic items that can, like, cast a shield around you and take a couple of hits or something, but there is no block button. There is no roll in the way that Dead Cell, there is in Dead Cells. And so it leads to this kind of awkward, just jumping around chaotically, trying to deal with these different enemies that are attacking you. And then within that you think, okay, maybe the way to deal with enemies is to avoid that situation where you're fighting a bunch of them at once. Maybe you need to aggro just one or two selectively and then lead them off somewhere to deal with them. And there's a little bit of that, but it still doesn't support that as much as you want it to. It's, it's really difficult to aggro just one or two enemies. You'll, you'll try and argue, aggro one, but his alert call will aggro five others that are nearby and suddenly it's, it's chaos. Um, and I don't like the bosses either, and those are really the thing I think that has led to me stopping playing the game now. Because every two levels, like I said, you meet a boss, but the boss is randomly chosen from a selection of like six in those first two worlds. About two or three of those bosses I can beat no problem, I can beat them almost without taking damage. Whereas the other two or three I have never beaten. I have beaten them once in errors and errors and errors of playing this game. And because the bosses, they don't really use the same skill set that you're developing playing the rest of the game, it doesn't feel like I'm making any progress towards actually getting better at beating them. I only have the opportunity to make progress when I actually face one of those bosses, which requires doing well enough to meet a boss first of all, and requires the dice roll to give me a boss that I can't beat easily. And then the fight is often over very quickly without me having a real chance to work out is it that my strategy is wrong fighting the enemy? Is it because I haven't accustomed myself enough with their attack patterns, which is what it is with the three bosses that are easy? Or is it just that the RNG didn't did give me good enough weapons or good enough damage output on the life levels beforehand in order to be able to beat the boss with that particular build? I don't know. And just that frustration of feeling like there is a cap now to the progress that I'm likely to make means that I've kind of worn out myself in playing the game. Is there anything that it could do differently that you can pinpoint that isn't just, you know, if it was more this or if it was more that? Like, is there a is there a thing that it's definitely falling down on in, in that... Um, I mean, I don't think it does a good enough job in teaching you its melee combat mechanics or really teaching you at all. Um, and so I would try and communicate those things more to the player. Uh, I would probably just get rid of the bosses entirely. <laughs> I think like they're just badly designed, whether they're easy to beat or not, and they're kind of counter to the regular challenge. And like Spelunky has bosses, but they're at the very least they're at the very end of the game. And so they're not gating progress in the way that they are here. There's lots, lots of other little things as well, like 
the way potions function. Like a lot of roguelikes, um, potions are unidentified when you first pick them up, and they're the they're they're different colors, but which um, consequence the color is associated with is randomized. So if you pick up a white potion, you don't know if drinking it this time is going to give you 30 health or take away 30 health or set you on fire or poison you or buff a stat or what. Um, but in other roguelikes, potions are my favorite thing because they have exciting, interesting consequences. Even if it does something bad, I'm going to get a good story out of drinking a potion in something like Brogue. Whereas in Cave Blazers, drinking a potion is either going to kill me or it's going to do something quite boring, whether it's good or bad. And there is never a situation in the game, for example, where, say, I'm low on health and desperate enough that it's worth just taking a punt on drinking a potion because it might help me out. I'm always better off um, just holding out that there's going to be a health shrine around the corner or something like that that I can use to guarantee my me uh, some health. And so there are like all these different systems at work, basically, that I think it's hard to point to particulars off the top of my head, but I think don't quite coalesce in the way that I want them to, or could be massaged into being something better. Although even as I say that, I think, well, if I was to massage them into being something better, the game might just turn into Spelunky, <laughs> which would, which is a game that already exists. So, Is there any reason that you would recommend this to someone before you recommended Spelunky, though? No. <laughs> there we are, case closed. <laughs> I think Cave Blazers is really good, and it's out now, but the developers are still working on it, and there's a co-op mode, a local co-op mode coming soon, which looks really nice. Um, and it does do a bunch of stuff right, but if I was to recommend one to people, I would still recommend Spelunky. What have you been playing, Pip? Uh, so I've been playing a few little things over on Itch.io, doing one of my trolls for interesting little game walks. Um, and one of them was nice, and I ended up putting it up on the site. And it was, uh, I think it was Life of Tar was the name of the game. And essentially you just go through, um, it's not exactly a loop because it never joins up with the beginning, but you can see where you started when you get to the end um and essentially you just fall through or go through a bunch of tar portals like one-way things that push you through just a small walk that takes you underground and you see these lovely crystal caves with all these prehistoric animal skulls and things all around and it was just a really nice piece of interactive pottering about that was life of tar on the more mainstream side of things, I downloaded Orcs Must Die Unchained, um, and I've been playing through the prologue, which I guess is what people now call tutorials, um, because it happened in a bunch of games I've booted up recently, and it's... Because I played it when it was in closed beta and when they were trying to bill it as a MOBA so you would be setting up the traps and the um, all of the different stuff that you would in previous games but it was to stop the advance of both orc minion things if I remember rightly but also human players um, and so... Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> and it was... It was this... It just didn't really stand out. I played it for a while and then just, you know, wrote the preview and then got on with my life and never went back to it. But then I think 
enough people must have done that exact same thing that they changed it back to being more what Orcs Must Die is known for is the as the PvE type stuff. And I'm not far enough into the game, like I say, I'm only midway through the uh, tutorial, to say for sure that that is exactly what it's done. And I didn't play the previous games because they weren't particularly of interest but so far it has been very much pve and i've been laying these like wall arrow traps that pepper the uh, oncoming horde with arrows and little tar things that will slow them down and spikes that will come out of the ground and do terrible things and impale them and then they'll just keep trying to run at me and yeah so that's been I mean, you know, <laughs> I've been racking up multi-kills. It's been fine. <laughs> the other orcs must die are, are like that. like They're like tower defense, but with uh, in third person or first person? Third person, I think. This one's in third person, and I've been controlling a guy with a with a uh, crossbow and things, and I, I seem to be able to give people electric shocks as I do so. Um, so, you know... It's yeah, and its innovation on terror defense was hey, you're actually a guy on the field in third person who can run around and shoot things at the same time as laying down the traps. And then I think the sequel did maybe introduce multiplayer, like a competitive two, maybe two on two thing or something like that. That was quite fun. Mm. But why they decided to go down the mobile route, I have no idea. Mm. I'm interested to see how much they kept of the version that I played because it did things like, I, I don't know if this was in previous games, maybe you two will know, but it had things like you'd have, you'd build a, a card deck for your character and thus that would function like a character build. Um, I actually just brought up my preview of the of the beta and it was stuff like yeah there were these cards and you would um grind like jibs to have like particular currency like skulls that you could spend in the shop and stuff so i'm yeah it's it was full-on in moba free-to-play territory of the least fun kind i'm i'm hoping that it opens up and it becomes this uh cascade of death that I can inflict upon those who would disobey me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm like. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you're all about the cascade of death. I thought I was supposed to be the terrifying, monstrous one. Well, you, do, you then like went against that and you decided that you were going to be the nice, gentle... Uh, okay, so you're f- filling the role. Well, I mean, you know, someone's got to. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Brendy, I believe you were interviewing someone this week. So what, who was that? Tell us. I was interviewing two of the developers behind Dead Cells. Um, so we can listen to that. And do you know what else we can listen to? The jingle before it, which we have now got. <gasps> Let's do that. Okay, so I'm here now with two people from Motion Twin, the developers of Dead Cells, which is described as a rogue Viennia, which we'll explain soon, hopefully. Um, we've got uh, Sebastian Benar and Steve Philby 
I don't know your job titles exactly. Uh, actually, it's quite random. Depends on the day. So I, I describe myself uh, as a game designer and a developer, of course, game dev. So usually uh, they call me the lead dev, but it's not exactly true. So yeah, and I'm, and they they call me around here. They call me the chief bullshit artist. So so that's marketing, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for the benefit of our listeners who might not know. Can one of you or both of you maybe explain what is dead cells? Uh, in a short way, we usually we describe dead cells as uh, Castlevania that you can actually replay. So it was uh, at the moment we decided to switch the game because the game is quite old. It used to be something very different, but we decided to reboot uh, years ago, uh, one year ago. And uh, so we decided to go for Castlevania that you can replay. So that's because that's why you have this name, the system dropping thing, the Roguevania. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that, that it started as something completely different. I've read that it began life as a free-to-play multiplayer tower defense. Um, it was. It used to be published on mobile too, so... That is very, very different. Like, How did you swap, how did you decide to change the way that it was? Uh, usually when you try to make a game and uh, you have to describe uh, this game and you take like 10 minutes to just explain the basic of the game, it's usually it's not a good idea. So that's the reason we decided to drop this previous version. It was just to complicate it to explain and to play and, to, and also to build, of course. So um, that's why we, we we went until I think it was alpha version. And um, the, during this um, alpha, we, we just understood that the game was really uh, not fun to play and uh, too complicated and uh, really um, too bloated. So. Yeah, it was, it was like the moment where we made, we actually made like a single player demo so that mm. we could take it and show it off. And, and um, uh, Nico, the head of Shiro Games, said, hey, this version's cool. Why don't you just do a single player version? And, and so that was sort of like the moment where we went, hmm. Okay, okay nice. Let's do that. <laughs> Uh, there's also, it's, it's kind of a roguelike. You go through the dungeon, you kill a lot of things, then you die a lot. And then you go back, right back to the start, keeping some skills and some uh, money and stuff. But there's also a glut, quite a lot of roguelikes nowadays. What do you feel makes Dead Cells special? Um, actually, when we made this game, at first we were, we were not exactly, um, Everyone in the team was not really a great fan of the roguelike in general. So uh, I do play lots of roguelike, but mostly uh, traditional roguelikes like uh, Doom RL or this kind of uh, roguelike, you know, top-down uh, classic ones. But uh, when we made this one, we wanted to make sure that we made a good platformer first, a good action platformer, because we wanted to have uh, tight controls and very fun uh, core gameplay, which is combat, which is uh, the moving around, jumping, and this kind of stuff. We wanted to focus more on this, and then, to ma- uh, then we added the roguelike part. So it was more um, doing a good action platformer than a good roguelike at first. And the, the roguelike was just um, um, an overall mechanic to make sure that you can actually replay the game and have a fresh new experience every time. Why did you decide to pay homage to Castlevania and Dark Souls in particular? Do you just really like those games? Uh, yeah, because they are, um, I, I like those games for uh, for these two. Um, many people in the team actually like them, but uh, the, we we do like them for a good reason because they are actually good uh, examples of game 
that uh, used um, difficulty uh, mechanics, but in a good way. More about Dark Souls for this kind of thing. But uh, it's uh, Dark Souls, for example, is a very difficult game, but it's not an unfair game. It's not difficult in a way that you get kicked and you don't you don't understand why. So Dark Souls was a good reference, but um, mostly for this. And also for their really great level design, which is uh, like amazing in the first version. I think it's potentially also a little bit to do with the way that the team set up as well, because we're a cooperative company. You know, there's no boss. It's not sort of one person imposing their will on on everyone. So I mean, you know, when when uh, Toma or Gwen, like the artists, start drawing, uh, if things look uh, like a lot like Symphony of the Night. That's because, you know, Tom's a big fan of Symphony of the Night. So when he makes the doors, he's like, look, this is like the door out of this one. You know, and he puts in little references to make himself happy because it, you know, it's sort of fun for him. And, and yeah, as there's no one from the top down saying, you've got to do this or whatever, then we can do that. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. That is something that I wanted to ask about. So Motion Twin, your studio is a cooperative. So everybody has a stake in the company. Everybody mm-hmm. has the same salary, I think. Exactly. And there's nobody with a boss as a job title, right? Exactly. Uh, actually, uh, in the company, we have um, uh, an equality on three things. It's uh, the salary, the time, your, the amount of time you work, and uh, the decision. You are, Everyone can vote and uh, have one... One, one vote, one, one vote yeah. for everything. Uh, it can be uh, the company stat- strategy or choosing uh, the next monsters that we'll implement in the game. So it really depends. But we are, we decide pretty much everything together. Uh, of course, we sometimes decide to separate uh, in smaller teams on very specific subjects. But most of the time, everything is decided together. So that's also why we we have uh, this game which is really a mix be- uh, between lots of different ideas and different kind of gameplay so that's also something that reflects uh, the, the way we work yeah mm. yeah i think uh, well yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really difficult because steven would say it's not uh, that much an advantage but uh, you take lots of time actually uh, talking to people because you have to decide together so you have to make sure that everyone is uh, happy with the decisions and if you're not you have to speak a lot and explain why or try to um, bend everything the, the way you want so it can take quite a lot of time to make sure that everyone is happy with, with uh, the decisions but usually uh, the decisions that you reach is always it's usually not um, conservative way to decide. You have to uh, always uh, find the best decisions that will satisfy everyone. Mm. So uh, usually you, you get better results, but it takes lo- also lots, uh, lots of time. Yeah, I, I think it necessitates quite a lot of structure and quite a lot mm. of discussion, and you have to be quite organized, actually, to, to be able to operate in, in this kind of way. But once you get to the point where the team is functioning correctly, you can be incredibly, yeah. incredibly effective. Uh, so uh, it's an early access game, so you're always getting a lot of feedback. What's the biggest thing that players complain about? Uh, at first, it was only uh, early access. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no, it was not exactly the players most of the time. It was the journalists because you know early access is like a cursed world. So, uh, but uh, no, for for now, most of the time we don't have uh, like um, a very um, um, major feedback, which is something that we have to change. It's mostly, usually, it's more like a what item is OP in the game, so we decide to, to adjust this. For us, it's cool because it's more about balancing the game rather than uh, make sure making the game fun. So That's 
pretty right. I mean, you know, if we do have like any for particular graphics cards or, or something mm. that's like a crash or a game crashing bug or like a, a no start, then, you know, obviously people are going to kick up a stink about that. Mm. But for the most part, it's been really cool because, you know, even ourselves going into early access, we were like, hmm, early access, that's a bit of a dirty word. <laughs> Is there a, a single element of the game, like a single thing that you are particularly proud of, like a, a type of enemy or, or a particular animation or mechanic or something that you just look at it and you think, oh, oh, well done, well done me, or well done us, you know? <laughs> uh, it's a difficult question, but I think I will talk about the role. It's not uh, my my stuff, because uh, at first uh, the, the role mechanic in the game used to be a blink. Uh, you teleport, you basically you used to teleport a few meters away. But now it's a, it's a role more, it's also something that Steve decided, uh, insisted on uh, changing because he didn't like uh, the teleport mechanic. So we decided to go for the role and um, I, I did spend quite a long, long time, I think it was maybe two months, tweaking the, the role to make sure that everything felt right. Mm. And actually when you um, uh, analyze uh, this mechanic, you will see that the, the role is really, um, has lots of corner cases. Like, for example, if you use a roll when you are far from a cliff, it will stop just before the cliff so you don't fall. And uh, if you use it near a cliff, it will allow you to go uh, and fall. Uh, you can also use it, for example, if you use it and you stop on an enemy, it will actually continue behind the enemy. So to make sure that you don't stop when you are over the enemy, this kind of thing. So um, I, I like the idea that uh, the control feel tight because there are lots, like uh, literally, literally tons of hidden mechanics that makes sure that when you do something, it just happens the way you intuitively think it will happen. So Zorol, for example, is a, it's a good example of this. Mm. I mean, yeah, I would say two things. Uh, the controls, um, you know, like we spent, as I've said, months arguing about whether we should have a dash or a roll and, you know, talking about like, okay, well, we just played this game, you know, I think at the time one of the guys showed us Momodora, mm. like Reverie Under Moonlight, which has kind of got a nice feeling role in it. And so we started playing that and discussing it. Um, so lots and lots of, you know, psychopathic attention to detail from <laughs> Seb when it comes <laughs> to that. And I think the other thing that I really like uh, personally is the the overall style that we managed to pull off with the, the graphics. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a stack of pixel art games out there, and a lot of them are very, very sort of nice to look at. But then I feel like the, the ambience, you know, the first time you step out onto the ramparts in this game is kind of like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I remember when they, like, when they showed it to us, we, I hadn't been testing it for a little while. Uh, and I, I played that level the first time uh, when Matt, he just put the light scattering in. So you had, like, the god rays coming down out of the sun that were shining through the back of the windows and stuff. And that was, that was pretty cool. That was mm. probably for me the moment where I was like, oh, this game is awesome. <laughs> Um, it, is there something though that you really don't like that you want to change as soon as possible? Uh, yeah, the actually, spinner. <laughs> the spinners. We implemented a new enemy, which is like a deadly. But uh, no, no. For, for me, it's more uh, the shields um, because uh, we have a, a parry mechanic in the game, which is uh, implemented using shields. And uh, I'm not really happy the way it works right now, because especially uh, it's um, it's a very it's a quite difficult mechanic and not uh, rewarding enough. So that's something that I will probably change on uh, for the next update. Yeah. yeah to explain the, the shields, you don't hold them up forever and walk along like you would in say Dark Souls. It's kind of a reflex thing. You have to pull them up as you're about to get hit and kind of counter the enemy, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is a bit weird because I mean, if you are used to playing Dark Souls or 
or you know, like Salt and Sanctuary or some of those Souls-like games where you're walking forward holding up your shield. It's like, uh, uh, what the hell is broken? Hmm. <laughs> we get, we actually get a, a fair few comments on people first exactly. play. Like you watch them on Twitch and they'll be like, oh, what the? Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, it's more like a parry than a, a shield. Okay, cool. As a final question, can you tell us any future plans for the game? Uh, sure. Uh, you actually free to do... play online, <laughs> mobile. Also, <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> implement a VR mode probably yeah. next month. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the thing you, you have to do now. So, no, not sure. Uh, actually, we have lots of plans. So right now, it's more like we really plan to add lots of content in the game, like many levels. We don't uh, plan to change uh, the core mechanic of the game, uh, except next month, <laughs> because actually we have mm. uh, a big update coming in uh, one month, maybe half, uh, which will change uh, a lot the way you grab items in the game and uh, how you explore the, the world. But uh, I can't, can't talk uh, much about it because we still have to test lots of things. But uh, right now it's more like adding new biomes and new environments and uh, tons of new weapons. And also, of course, lots of bosses, uh, mm. bosses. Yeah, I think probably. It depends on, like, I mean, again, coming back to that team structure, it depends on who you talk to. Because like, I'm really looking forward to adding more bosses into the game. Uh, you know, like new side bosses and like secret bosses and different sort of challenges. Whereas some of the guys are more like, meh, bosses, not so much a thing, want to add more replayability or, or whatnot. I mean, yeah, mostly just making it bigger and better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still haven't beaten the second boss yet. Oh, there, there is a third one coming maybe uh, in one month, uh, something like this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, thanks again to Sebastian and Steve uh, for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. And hopefully we'll be seeing more Dead Cells soon. The podcast is drawing towards its end, but before we finally reach that point, uh, shall we turn to questions? Yes, let's do some readers' questions, listeners' questions. Somebody on Facebook, uh, Kei Taniguchi, asked, Whenever Shadow of Mordor is mentioned, people always say how they expected the Nemesis system to be a big thing and appear in loads of other games. Are there any other more overlooked mechanics or game systems that you think had the potential to be reused to greater effect in games other than the ones they appeared in? Or are there any systems that you thought were really good and had potential but were mired in either cruddy games or entirely the wrong genre of game for them to shine? That's a nice question. It's a good question. I think the the obvious one that springs to mind in terms of mechanics that ought to have been borrowed more uh, is just EVE Online, um, which gets talked about a lot because it, so much of its world is player-driven. Um, players form the in-game corporations, they form the in-game economy, and the kind of the, the conflict and everything that drives that game forward is is created by players, and that seemed like such an exciting idea when it first came out in I think two thousand and three or something like that, and it seemed very counter to the way MMOs had been up until that point, especially popular, the most popular MMOs like EverQuest and then later World of Warcraft. Um, and yet, just about every attempt to do a similar thing in an MMO has just fizzled out. Even the developers of EVE Online, who you know tried to make World of Darkness, which was their kind of urban vampire MMO with the similar similar set of ideas, it was cancelled. And although there are some 
kind of small indie MMOs that have been kickstarted recently that are trying to do the same thing. They all look quite rough and they're quite a ways off as well. And it just seems like a, a real missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think that I really like hacking games and stupid things like that. And I think that the quadrilateral, the way quadrilateral cowboy did its hacking, um, whereby the terminal actually affected things in the world was quite nice. And I don't think that that's done too much. I don't know if it's done in a lot of other things, but like loads of the little hacking games that I play are just like in the terminal. And that's cool because you're supposed to just be in the terminal or like in, you know, on a computer somewhere. But I, I, I think it was really fun that you got to type something and a door would open or you got to type something and a, a little gun would go off. You got to type something, you know, and a, you know something would happen and you could see it happen with your own eyes. And I think that was really nice. Um, and it's not really been done because it's quite niche. I don't know if it could be done in something bigger and more mainstream, like a big blockbuster game or something. I don't know. Um, but but I think that would be I would like to see that done more somewhere, it, like even in Quadrilateral Cowboy, I would have liked to have seen more of it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I I think that's I mean, there is something really appealing about that idea of just typing a thing and then watching something happen. Obviously, there's a whole career where people do just that. But uh, there's a mod for Minecraft called Computercraft, where you have um, these little block characters are called turtles and you can program the turtles with like an in-game scripting language and you can program them to do things like go mine out a space of the ground you know with you know tell it to go mine out a space in the ground that's 10 grid squares wide and eight grid squares deep and it will go and it will chew through those blocks one at a time and it's really really appealing to watch it just go do the thing you said and and you can program it to do all sorts of stuff. You can program it to build you a house. And if you do it right, it will put the walls and it will layer it on. Or you can program it to create duplicates of itself and give each of those duplicates oh, a no. particular task. And so Don't do can, that. <laughs> Don't do that one. So you can have... The turtles will take over. You can, you can create this kind of yeah, a swarm of locusts, basically, that will just chew their way through the entire environment around you if you know the code to type <laughs> in to do it. Um, that sounds amazing. I want to play that. For me, I have to say it's I don't think that people are adventurous enough with control input mechanisms for the large part. Mm. I really love going to alt control GDC, uh, GDC rather, um, each year just to see what people are doing um, in, ter- in, in that experimental controller sphere. But in terms of more... Uh, things that you can just experience with mouse and keyboard or with an Xbox 360 controller or something. In recent times, it's only really been uh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons that has done something interesting with controllers. And um, there's one of the stories in Edith Finch that does an interesting thing with uh, mouse and keyboard when I was playing that and maybe I, I would also put snake pass into uh into that bracket because they were trying to really work with the controller to produce uh something that was part of the experience rather than an input mechanism that then was supposed to become invisible which i think most mm. are trying to be and obviously it's not suitable for for all games but i really do think that there's a lot that could be done with just the normal 
QWERTY keyboard or with keyboard and mouse or with the 360 controller that it, it just isn't being exploited in interesting ways at the moment. I think that is the best answer. I agree. I think that's, that's the answer. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I win the podcast! <laughs> Excellent. Well, I believe... We should we should end on that high note. A personal victory for me. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to read our fantastic website, that is rockpapershotgun.com. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter, where we are at rockpapershotgun. We are on YouTube at rockpapershot because reasons. Um, and you can follow us individually. Brendy, what are you on Twitter? Or rather, who are you on Twitter? At Brendy underscore C. Um, it's also worth pointing out, we are Rock Paper Shot on Twitter as are well. Are we? Yeah. Uh. We, didn't get the, we didn't get the full gun. We didn't get the full <gasps> what? gun. What? Oh, it probably doesn't fit, does it? What's the word coming to? <laughs> anyway, and I'm at Philippa War, which is at P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Graham doesn't really use Twitter, so just ignore him. Um, <laughs> the other thing that you can do that is super helpful for us here at this podcast in terms of getting it to other people who would love to hear it, hopefully, is if you have the time and you've enjoyed our witterings, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be amazing so thank you in advance and we'll be off bye bye Desperately of an answer to this. <laughs> well, do you have an answer, Brendy? Uh, no, I have no answer. Really. Oh, I see. Well, we could also talk about like. Oh, I thought of something. I okay. can talk about something. <laughs> Thank God for that. Okay, good. <laughs>